everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Breakthrough Research Podcast, delivered by the Industry and Innovation Research Institute at Sheffield Hallam University. My name is Yvonne Armitage and I'm an Innovation Manager at the University. Today I'm joined by Professor Andy Alderson, who has more than one hat on. He is the Director of our Industry and Innovation Institute and he's also Professor of Smart Materials and Structures. Good morning, Andy, and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great that you're here. In case you haven't listened to one of our Research Institute podcasts before, we're going to give you an insight into some of the exciting research that we do in the various departments and research centres of the Industry and Innovation Research Institute. We are trying to make these podcasts short and sweet so that on your lunch break or on your morning or afternoon cup of time, we want to be part of your break. So screens down and tune in to learn so much more about not only new and exciting research, but the journeys behind the researchers to their current roles. In order to comply with social distancing rules right now, we are making the recordings by digital platform with simple equipment that we have at home. Maybe we might get help from family members in some of our recordings as small children, adorable pets. The episode you are listening to now was recorded on the 18th of February, 2021. Smart materials and structures, that sounds yeah, really interesting, but you know, quite complicated. Um, so first of all, maybe can you just explain what smart materials and structures is? Smart materials and structures in terms of the ones that I am involved with are uh, materials that have unusual or counterintuitive properties. Um, and my main area is around um, auxetic materials. So these are materials that when you pull them, instead of getting thinner like a normal elastic band would do, they actually get fatter, they expand um, and increase in volume. Um, and so there's a whole... Um, question there is you know how and why can materials have that property and then what can we do with them where might we use them for for benefit um so there if you like them they're my main uh, area of research but i also look at other counterintuitive materials um we're looking at things like negative stiffness materials where the increase in length is in response to a compression for example um, we're also interested in things like negative thermal expansion. So you heat something up and it contracts rather than gets bigger. Yeah. And those sorts of materials throw up really interesting possibilities and potentials, as well as having genuine fundamental interest as to the physics of to how and why. Yes, negative thermal expansion, that definitely sounds counterintuitive. So what sort of um, applications are these types of materials using? Anything that we might use in the everyday? Um, well, certainly negative thermal expansion materials, for example, are, are looked at um, in things like, things like space satellites, where you might imagine, you know, the, an antenna uh, in space facing the sun will have a very different temperature on that side compared to the, the side of the antenna that is not facing the sun and therefore you get different thermal expansion behavior and you can get distortion and warping of the components. So a negative thermal expansion material might be used in combination with a positive thermal expansion material to give you effectively a zero thermal expansion, therefore dimensional stability. Yeah, so you might find them in such exotic applications as that. The auxetics are perhaps a little bit uh, or have been sort of a little bit behind things like negative thermal expansion in terms of their development. Um, but we're finding them now um, finding applications 
uh, in things like sporting goods products. So um, we do a lot of work on things like impact protection uh, and they're finding their way into things like footwear applications where uh, benefits such as energy absorption due to the oxidative property can be exploited in the product. So basically you're saying fancy trainers would have this type of material? Fancy trainers indeed, yeah. Perfect. So, I mean, that really is kind of, I can see why they're called smart materials now then. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be Professor of Smart Materials and Structures at Sheffield Hallam University? Okay, well, I, I started out my, my um, research and science career um, at the, the University of Liverpool, where I did my degree and, and PhD. Uh, and a postdoctoral uh, uh, project. I then spent a, a, a spell in industry, in the nuclear industry, um, where I was able to um, really get a better understanding of how we can apply knowledge to real world application. Um, uh, I then returned to uh, academia to the University of Bolton. Um, where I um, really ramped up my research into oxidative materials, um, uh, including um, through things like spin-out company um, activity. Um, so I've got really good interests and experience in things like being a director of uh, a technology company. Um, and then following University of Bolton, I, I, I arrived at Sheffield Hallam University. Um, uh, where again I uh, introduced and developed oxidative materials as a, a research topic and area within the Materials Engineering Research Institute, um, but collaborating with colleagues in things like our Biomolecular Sciences Research Centre, uh, our Centre for Sports Engineering Research, uh, and so on. So that's that's where I, that's the path I've taken to get to where I am today. Yeah, that's quite a journey. So in in terms of if you've worked in industry, obviously the nuclear industry, that's very different to working in, in a university. What would you say some of the, if you like, the learnings that you took from industry, Andy, to your current role? Is there anything that you learned that you could bring forward? Oh, certainly, yeah. Uh, an appreciation of things like timescales. Um, in industry, you, you typically work to very different uh, timescales than you would do, say, in, in an academic environment in terms of, of the research where we 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 have research programs you know for over over years many years whereas in industry some of the issues that, that, that need to be challenged and tackled are, are rather shorter scale um, in terms of time um, and that's interesting in particular when you look at things like industry academia collaboration and working and it really is important to be very clear in such cases as to what the desired outcomes are for, for both partners uh, and, and what the roles are to achieve those outcomes. Um, so that was a key one. I think uh, another area that I got from industry was around intellectual property and the importance of, uh, of, of confidential working and uh, ensuring that um, uh, we maximize the outcomes from any research activity in terms of the, the benefit to to the company um, yeah so you know really interesting but I think the key was really appreciating and understanding um, the the need to not just create knowledge but for that knowledge to have application um, and, and to be able to deliver that application through working with the appropriate teams 
thanks yeah and i guess as the director of industry and innovation institute it's very much focused to a certain extent on that application as you've just said in terms of industry focus innovation is very much adding value to ideas so to the research that we're, we're um, developing in in the university so as director i mean what does that mean what sort of things do you have to do as as, as that role in terms of that so i'm i'm director of the industry innovation research institute and and so i have the the joy if you like of trying to draw on the talents and the expertise and the facilities across the entire university uh, in delivering um delivering research through the institute the, the vision of the institute is to be the leading provider of research excellence delivering applied materials computing science and engineering innovations to meet the development needs of current and future industries yeah um, so i work in close harmony with the, the other research institute directors that we have at the university and with associate deans for research and innovation in the colleges to, um, uh, to then build the appropriate teams across the university to uh, deliver large scale research programs um, in support of that vision. Yeah, so, so a busy, busy person, busy roles, that's for sure. So I mean, yep. in, in terms of um, actually um, looking back again as well is, what inspired you to start studying science in the first place? Obviously, you talked about, you know, um, your degree and, and then moving on into industry, into academia, sort of looking after a tech company and, and back into academia as well. I mean, what, what, who, who inspired you in the early days to think, right, I want to be a scientist? Well, that's a really good question. I think part of, part of why I got on the path that I've been on was actually it was what I was best at when I was at school. You know, I was good at physics. For some reason and i think part of that was that i had um school teachers with a passion for the for the subject and also just an inbuilt natural curiosity for myself to, to understand to understand why things behave as they do yeah so that was really it was a natural home for me was was science in in, in that respect i was able to do it i was inspired by uh, influential teachers at the time um, and it fitted my innate curiosity. Fantastic, yeah, because I know that science subjects, and particularly physics and maths are seen as hard subjects, so it's good to hear someone saying, yeah, I really enjoyed it, and, and obviously you wanted to continue with it. So in, in terms of obviously from your, your research work, you've talked a little bit about the journey in terms of, you know, looking at these types of materials, and it starts out often, doesn't it, from, you know, sort of doing a PhD. But in terms of you know, as you progressed, what sort of challenges are you setting out to ad ad address when you're actually, you know, looking to develop these new materials? Um, when I when I first started out in in, in oxetic materials and looking at those, um, the the real challenge was to understand, you know, how can you get this behaviour uh, and. And I really started looking at that from, from, from the perspective of, you know, what materials exist naturally that have this property. Um, and then started to study those and, and try and identify the mechanisms and the structures of the materials that gave us, that gave the natural materials a property. And then how can we apply the same principles to, to man-made materials. Um, so that was a challenge when I set out. And to a degree, that's still the same challenge. We're, we're uncovering more and more natural materials with this, what is 
often considered to be an unusual property, but actually, as, as I say, it's been covered more material. We find out that, that it's a bit more prevalent than we perhaps first think. Um, and so we are looking at the, the material, we continue to look at them and, and, and work out and learn from them in terms of how to use them and then how we can apply them ourselves. So when you say natural materials, I mean, what, what sort of things might it be? I mean, obviously trying to help people to understand is, you know, um, in terms of material, are they synthetic? Are they derived from nature? Are they kind of biomimicked? You know, we're we trying to re repeat what goes on in the natural world. Well, Yvonne, parts of you are exotic, would you believe? Yeah. Um, so, you know, things like Achilles tendons have been reported and found to be exotic. You know, so why would an Achilles tendon be exotic? You know, that's a, a really interesting question. Why was, why does nature do that? Um, and, and how? Yeah, and that's, that's where the real curiosity comes in there. So we're finding natural biomaterials are exotic. Um, but we're also finding other, you know, other materials such as, uh, you know, minerals and inorganic materials. So one of the very first materials I looked at was the, the alpha cristobalite uh, polymorph of crystalline silica. So similar to quartz, um, a crystal form of silica, but, but actually it's a slightly different arrangement of the, of the molecular subunits that make up the material. And it was really looking at how those subunits responded to mechanical loading uncover why that material was exotic yeah and, and then how can we can apply the, those lessons elsewhere and um, so there are a range of natural materials some are biomaterials soft biomaterials some are very stiff and hard materials like the silicas and so forth um, that's good to hear. And I'm so glad that you explained what alpha cristobalite was for, for everyone listening, <laughs> and including myself, actually, as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's good to hear that actually a lot of the things that you're using are, are derived from nature and, and we're utilising what, what we have. So in terms of um, ambition in, in, for yourself, Andy, but also for, for the researchers, what are the ambitions for the type of work that you're doing and in terms of next steps? Um, I think the key ambition really is um, around uh, research and applications for these materials. Yeah, at the end of the day, we, there has to be a reason for doing why we, we do what we do. Yeah, um, and so a really exciting time now for oxetic materials is that products are beginning to uh, come into the marketplace. I've, I've already mentioned the, the sports and the sports applications. Sport, sporting goods is a very rapidly moving sector. Um, you know, the, that industry is very quick to take up and adopt um, new developments in terms of materials and to very quickly get them out onto the marketplace. So um, it's great that we're seeing a number of different sports shoes, uh, helmets and, and such like appearing on the market using oxidative materials. What's really exciting is that then we expect some of the other sectors that perhaps have longer gestation times for, for, for product development will also be coming through to market in the next few years. And certainly we've been doing work not just on the sporting goods sector, but in, in the biomedical area and um, around aerospace, which typically will have, you know, an order of magnitude, a longer time to develop products. Um, but knowing that they will be appearing in the not too distant future, I think is really an exciting uh, time for the field and is, is really where the ambition 
for for the field is is to really get these products out there and that requires not just that we develop the products but that it's working in the sort of the multidisciplinary teams and the, the industry and academia teams to achieve this and again that's a really exciting and challenging um, aspect you know it's that collision of different disciplines of different perspectives that is, that is where the real innovations um, are generated and then I guess the other ambition for the research is as, as I've mentioned is, is to really start to develop some of the other unusual materials that that I've been fortunate to to, to have some uh, activity in and I've already sort of mentioned things like negative stiffness and, and negative thermal expansion materials and it really where can we take those There's, there are some applications out there certainly for negative thermal expansion but negative stiffness is a fairly untapped area it's a really unusual area a lot of people just don't believe you when you tell them these materials can exist let alone what you can do with them so i think the ambition there is to try and get those materials to the sort of stage that we've got objectives to now in terms of getting ready for useful beneficial applications to appear it sounds to me like we're just limited by our own imaginations it sounds like there's lots yeah. of applications real world applications so i mean obviously you've talked earlier a little bit about collaborating with colleagues with, with other people and how important it is do we collaborate with other universities with with companies on this type of research uh, both yeah absolutely um it's very unusual out there these days to to just have one university or one team um uh, developing and delivering the sort of research that we do partly because it is multidisciplinary uh, partly because it's you know we, we look at the applied the application of the research so you wouldn't just expect a university to be doing that so it is very much um with other universities with with business partners and with companies um, and, we, and we do those sorts of programs through a range of activities. Um, so currently, you know, we I've got programs of work, research now on toxic materials that involve um, uh, clinicians and consultants from some of the local hospitals uh, that we have here. Uh, I've got other projects that are uh, with multinational uh, companies looking at some of the automotive applications, for example. Um, and uh, we're working with a range of other universities um, in this country and, and indeed uh, overseas as well. Yeah, definitely exciting times. So just in terms of your research or even in terms of, of your overall role, if you like, Andy, what's your favourite part of your jobs and what's the least favourite? Um, my favourite part, I think, is working with talented individuals at, at all stages of their research path. Um, it's it's great to work with you know experienced um, researchers who who know their fields and disciplines very well, and that you can have complete trust and faith in in terms of what you're doing is the right thing to be doing. But equally, it's great working with um, the talents that are coming through the you know through from from the very early stages of their research careers and and helping them and, and guiding them and seeing them flourish and develop into, into their own independent research careers. Um, and, you know, to see them, I've literally got, you know, former PhD students now at the other side of the world, a number in the States. It's great to, to witness that, to see that, and to keep in touch with them um, in, in what become 
not just colleagues, but long-lasting friendships. I think that's probably the favourite part, is working with really talented individuals with, with real intent and great, uh, you know, great talent going forward. Least favourite, uh, ooh. Um, in terms of research, not much, actually. I think I, I genuinely like the whole research activity um, and being. Um, I guess, you know, the obvious thing would be the challenges that we've had in the last year due to the pandemic um, in terms of being able to actually do research, um, both from a personal perspective, but also in terms of colleagues throughout the university. You know, those have been very significant challenges and if I'm really honest, have been a bit of a pain uh, to, 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 to address. Um, I think we've done well um, uh, in, in, in aspects of that, but, but it, it has been a pain um, and, and a challenge. So that would be the least favourite, the, the you know, access to the facilities and, and, and the resources to deliver the research during these currently challenging times. Sure, yeah, because a lot of research absolutely does go on. Laboratories of one type or another, doesn't it? So yeah. obviously we've talked about work a bit. So what, what sort of things, Andy, do you do when you're not working? When I'm not working? Well, um, for my sins, I'm a passionate supporter of Leeds United Football Club. Um, so I, I enjoy watching what are commonly now regarded as the entertainers of the Premier League um, on, on a, a weekly basis. Um, I, my other passion is, is listening to and, and playing music. Um, and, uh, you know, I find that is a really great way of, of being able to, um, you know, take a break from, from the day-to-day the, the -day activity. It's, it's a good change and, and, uh, and, and quite an invigorating um, activity to do. Um, but I guess the real thing that I really enjoy most is, is spending time with family. Um, I've got to that stage now where most of my uh, children are, are away from home, so um, it's really great to spend time with them when they, when they are able to, to come back to the, to the family home. That, yeah, that sounds just a perfect sort of uh, get away from the, the stresses of work type yeah. of thing. So we, we're bringing our, this current podcast to an end. So just a final question for you, Andy, though, is what would you say to someone who's interested in your area? You know, how would they go about getting into the area that you're in? Um, well, first of all, I'd say it's great fun. It's got great potential for, for good, for benefit to society through, you know, improved products and processes leading to efficiencies for um, the good of the planet. But it, the main thing is it's great fun. It really is great fun looking at unusual counterintuitive phenomena and what you might do with those. So that's the first thing I would say. And then I would say, come and join us or work with us in partnership with us in some way. Um, if, if, you, if you're um, coming out of a, a, an undergraduate degree, um, let's look at things like, you know, doing a PhD. Yeah, and that, I often tell my PhD students, or they don't always agree with me, the three years that you do with your PhD is the best three years you'll ever do in your career. You can really dedicate time to a three-year project um, without um, any other uh, distractions or calls on your time. Um, so, you know, I do think a PhD, if you're 
if you've got an inquisitive mind um, and you have got the, the talent and ability, is an absolutely brilliant thing to do. And I would encourage anyone to, to do that with us or with, 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 with a, whoever the, the, the appropriate group is. Um, if you're further down the line, again, you know, we, we uh, have opportunities for postdoctoral researchers and we've got, I've got one started in my group in March on the next project uh, through uh, Research Council funding. Um, so there are opportunities there. Um, but if you can't join our group and you're interested in the area, can we work together in some way? You know, if you're in industry, let's talk about how we can um, explore the, the the opportunities of exotic materials or whatever the materials research is within not just my own area but within the, the area that we have in industry and innovation and across the university how can we work together to um, really um, utilize the expertise and the facilities that we have to to the benefit and to solve some of the problems that you might have that's great. I'm not, I'm not sure I entirely agree that uh, your PhD three years is the best years because I found the first 18 months really uh, tough in terms of um, delivering what I had to do. But certainly research is absolutely, totally rewarding. You write a lot of fun, really exciting. When things are going well, it's the best feeling in the world. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our Breakthrough Break Time podcast. So we'll see you again next time. So screens down, tune in and you won't want to miss it. Goodbye.